Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is with a panel of writers discussing a fantastic new collection called Queer Stories. Joining me for today's discussion are Liz Duck Chong, Tim Bishop, and the editor of the collection, Maeve Marsden. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I speak with Australian writers and explore their books, writing, and literary culture as I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. The Great Conversations podcast expands that discussion. We get behind the scenes of the book and explore the pressing issues that it discusses in our world. And look, thank you to everyone who has been enjoying the Great Conversations podcast. You've shared it, uh, given us a rating, and look, that really helps others to discover Australian literature on the show. If you are enjoying it and you haven't had a chance to yet subscribe, it means you'll get a new podcast every week and give us a rating. It really helps everyone discover. Now, today on the show, I'm sharing part one of a panel discussion about a a new collection called Queer Stories. Queer Stories features a diverse collection of Australian LGBTQIA plus writers exploring their lives and experiences. It grew out of the Queer Stories evening that happens in Sydney and now uh, around Australia. The collection expands from personal stories of childhood, travel, adulthood, traversing heartbreak and joy and throughout carving a space for queer stories that's too often missing from our storytelling and the way that we listen to narratives. Join me and this fabulous group of writers as we explore storytelling, community, and the need to listen openly. This is Queer Stories. You are on Final Draft. My name is Andrew Popel, and today I am joined by a fantastic panel of individuals to discuss a new collection of stories out now from Hachette, Queer Stories. It explores lives well-lived from some of, some of Australia's finest LGBTQIA plus writers. Now, uh, I'm going to introduce you to the fine people joining me today. I have got Liz Duck Chong. She is a writer, sexual health nerd, photographer and musician. Her writings featured in our Sydney Morning Herald, Junkie, Archer, Kill Your Darlings, amongst many others. And you can hear her on the Let's Do It podcast discussing sexual health. Welcome, Liz. G'day. Hi. Now, I am also joined by Tim Bishop. He is an actor, a voice artist, a theatre and costume designer. Tim, I was looking at your bio. I'm actually not sure what uh, what role on the stage you don't do. That, or did. Or did. <laughs> you're, I'm you're in my also, senior years. You're also a co-producer of the, the Yarban Aboriginal was. and Torres Strait Islanders <laughs> yeah. Festival. Did my years. Did my years work. Founding member of Gadigal Information Services, Koori Radio. That's so, right. Welcome. This is, this is going back to the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> Thank and, you. Welcome to you too. <laughs> and also... Also joined by Maeve Marsden. She's a writer, director, producer and performer. Her writings appeared in The Guardian, Junkie, SBS Online, many others. Maeve is also, she's the editor of Queer Stories and the host of the Queer Stories Evenings. Welcome, Maeve. Thanks for having us. I'm excited um, to, to have you. <laughs> this is a great collection. So you are three of the contributors, but we've also got the likes. I'm just going to go off the front cover. Peter Polites would be familiar to listeners. He's come on the show. Nayuka Gori, Jen Cloa, Ben Law, Candy Royale, Rebecca Shaw, Simon Hunt. This is There's about 25 stories. 26. 26 stories in here. So that alone is a reason to get out and, and buy it. But I want to I want to get people into this. Um, and I want to start with the byline. There's more to being queer than coming out and getting married. And Maeve, in your introduction, you talk about needing a place for subtlety and complexity, sort of at the intersection of public and private lives. So what has storytelling, for all of you, what is storytelling in the queer story space meant to each of you, going, going up on stage, contributing to this book? 
I mean, for me, having edited it and hosting the nights and really getting to see the breadth of the stories now that there's been more than 100 people speak at Queer Stories, it's, it is. It's about the complexity of our communities. Of course, it's about making space to hear our stories when so often we don't get to hear queer stories or if we do, they're fairly mainstream tales, which is where that coming out and getting married thing um, came from, is that I was hearing a lot about equal marriage during that campaign and, I was, and people get asked their coming out stories and it kind of ends there and there's so much more complexity to identity and to sexuality um, and I wanted those stories to be heard um, by and for community, obviously, but also more broadly um, by the, the general community who are perhaps missing out on some of the narratives and creativity of people in the LGBTQI plus community. Liz, Tim? Uh, look, for me, it's, it's a bit different because I'm an old person in my late 50s. <laughs> and for, for, this, for this queer stories, it was for me, if it was about um, bringing some stories to a younger, newer, newer audience, to an audience like, you know, like as you had sort of listed before, you know, some I delivered some stories to some other old gay, gay lesbian audiences in the past and um, in years gone by, but and then had a break away from it. And so this was about coming back to a to a, a new audience and a, and a younger audience. So, you know, I was a little bit, I was actually a little bit, you know, scared, a little, <laughs> little bit intimidated. You know, it wasn't my peers because they're younger. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd done my time of my, you know, sort of storytelling with my peers. So this was great to bring, you know, come to the new audience. Yeah. I think there's a really wonderful thing about the space at Queer Stories in that it kind of defies specific uh, definition like a lot of queer spaces are for you know a specific age group or a specific sexuality group or gender group and queer stories kind of throws that out the window and you don't really know who you're going to get it's kind of this big smorgasbord of people and so the stories are both being presented by this wide group of people and then being taken in by this wide group of people and so I don't know, there's just, like, I never quite know what I'm going to expect and that's a really beautiful thing to go into an event and feel safe that there's going to be something new every time. Yeah, I was really taken by... Um, coming in there and just the way that this audience just wants you to do well. They want to hear your story, they want to love you and, you know, and, and, it's, and I've never really come across it, the, you know, the, um, the euphoria <laughs> of that audience mm, and that stage and that storytelling. They're particularly joyful in Sydney. I've been doing queer stories around the country and trying to recreate that sort of space with some success and sometimes people are still getting a feel for what the event is and what the format is and I suppose that's my job as a host is to find the kind of magic connections that allow me to repeat it. Um, But there is something about the Sydney audience and the venue, I think, and the way... Um, I mean, even the venue in Sydney has a history. It was performance space, so a lot of queer art happened there. It's at Giant Dwarf. It's Giant Dwarf now. But, um, yeah, there's an energy in the room at Sydney Queer Stories that even I can't quite put my finger on how I or we made it happen. And I think it's – there was – I mean, I think part of it is that Sydney is in flux and with things like the lockout laws and gentrification – our spaces are disappearing and Mm. our spaces are changing. And I think what we're seeing is this really, I mean, this is a departure from your original question, but what we're seeing is this shift from nightclub culture to people looking for arts events and looking for social events that aren't reliant on, you know, the Oxford Street or King's Cross Mm. nightlife. And I think in some ways I, I was quite lucky in that I started reaching a point with my events that I put on um, just as that was happening and people were going, well, what else can we do? And you see venues like the Bearded Tit and the Red Rattler in the last decade um, coming up. And I think it is because we're being pushed out of our traditional um, 
milieus, spaces in Sydney. Can I ask a little more then about that reception to the stories and before we get to the stories themselves? Mm. Um, because I wanted to find out more about the, the narratives and the archetypes that you feel expected to live. Because um, I found this this sentiment was reflected in many of the stories, and Liz, I've borrowed those lines directly from your, your story, which was knowing and unknowing. How much space do you feel the world allows for queer stories to be unique? So, so maybe not just that coming out and, well, getting married. Is it, are we, it's I mean, not very even little. Yeah, very, <laughs> yeah, not much very, space. Very, very little, you know, yeah. Mm. We, yeah, we have to, like, there's this notion of being the good gay or, you know, I think you also refer to being the good trans woman. Exactly. Um, and, and that you have to perform a particular degree of, of normalcy. And, I mean, I speak about it in my story about having to be a good child of same-sex parents, that if I failed as a child raised by lesbian mothers, it was on them. And, and, you know, like that's not something I just made up in my head. They literally had teachers and doctors when things go wrong say this is because what you're doing is unnatural. So I think there's an expectation of performance and an expectation of conventionality, that it's one thing to be queer or trans, but it's another thing to push that further or to have an, another intersecting complexity um, to your story or to your identity. Yeah, not much space. And I think the world has changed a bit since then, but not as much as we'd like. And so there's still kind of that expectation around, like, you know, it, just in my trans experience, the idea of going to doctors and having to live a specific narrative and be a specific body type and do all these things to achieve specific outcomes. And that's like one way that this uh, is... Yeah, it comes out in in my life, but it also happens in the world and how we tell stories, how we engage in the people around us. And so to depart from those kind of inbuilt expected narratives is like a bit radical and I think a bit powerful. And that's a really common thing on the queer story stage is actually kind of being a bit bit of a dirty rat bag, Mm. kind of getting out of that bubble and being like, we're all actually a bit different and a bit weird. And that's the joy of it. Yeah. I imagine it must be it mu- like these archetypes that you're, you're expected to perform must be incredibly limiting too. And uh, Liz, I think of a moment in your story where you talk about realizing that the more interesting question was what kind of woman you wanted mm, to be. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, the fact that I'm trans is probably the least interesting thing about me. Mm. People focus on it, but like you know, it's just a reality that exists. Like all these other things are, yeah, much more interesting. <laughs> We don't, yeah, we don't sit around like talking about your gender identity for hours as no, friends. No. It's, it's not like it's not like the key thing. And I mean, we do talk about identity and sexuality in in a political way and in introspective ways. They're they're a major part of our lives. But the notion that there's one way to do that, yeah, is incredibly limiting. Mm-hmm. I also really enjoy the hearing the diversity within that. You know what? What that so I suppose that you know the greater community calls the one community, mm-hmm. but for, you know for me it's it's incredibly diverse. You yeah. know, and through this book, you know, I've learned so much more than I've, you know I've learned through you know walking the streets of this mm-hmm. community in 25 yeah. years. That, you know, I'm hearing <laughs> from people who I've never heard from before. Yeah. You know? The uh, the last Sydney queer stories had what a, like just a stack of trans women on stage, Three, yeah. uh-huh. and it was kind of extraordinary to hear like such different, interesting experiences from people who have the quote unquote same experience. Yeah. Because we don't at all. And it was kind of a really beautiful way to explore the fact that we have similar experiences in some ways and very different in other ways and celebrating both the similarity and difference. Because we even see limiting kind of uh, options within the LGBTQI plus community. Like even if you take away 
you know, straight society's expectations. Within the community, you would normally see one token trans person on any lineup or panel. And I'm not blowing my own horn. That was chance that I had three trans women. I approached lots of people at once and I let them choose nights now rather than always being super specific about who's going to do when because it's just... It's easier that way, but also I find that then I get surprise magic or like that. This beautiful thing where three women spoke about their trans experience in quite different ways. Um, But that's rare to see. Like even with our own community, we go, okay, we've got three white gay men, a lesbian, Mm. (laughs) one person of colour and one trans person. Like that's what you see in in so many panels. And I'm really trying. I don't need a, you know, a pat on the back, but I'm trying to make it different at Queer Stories because it's more interesting to me. I don't want, I could program six interesting white lesbians in their 30s every month. It's easy because they look like me and I know you know, I know them. I know a lot of them. That's that's my. We know people within our own identity group, but it's important, I think, for programmers and for people putting arts events together to go. Well, who haven't I heard from, and who do I want to hear from, and who will I learn from? And I think that's why there's diversity at Queer Stories because I'm a naturally curious person. And I'm not only <laughs> who do we want to hear from, but who expands the joyfulness of a space yeah. and what it means to be queer and to tell stories. Mm. And who, yeah, and, and who, who will offer something different and new than what we normally hear? And it's, it keeps it interesting for me, at least. <laughs> it sounds like the audience. So I've not been to a queer story. Well, you'll evening, have to come. I'm going to mm. have to come. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like the audience is is amazing. Yeah, like they—they they sound like a really kind of brilliant group of I, people who are just like there. You were saying, Tim, they—they they want you to succeed, and yeah, and, then, and there's a lovely um, energy in the foyer beforehand. Mm. You know, there's lots of chatting, um, and you know, people are there, and you know, I believe that you know a lot of this audience is very regular, yeah, um, which is quite, you know, I mean. You know, again, my background was like you know, sort of. I can't believe this place, you know, gets a full house every time. Every every time it happens, yeah. you know, my experience in you know in Sydney has been trying to get you know audiences along over the years, and they just come <laughs> because they want to. So, so I'm I'm a I'm a book guy, so I'm I'm really interested in in this translation onto the page, yeah. and particularly then in terms of readership. So I've got a few I've got a few things that I want to explore with you, but I, just in terms of that audience, so. Like, I'm I'm a white cisgendered I'm hetero man. You'll get, I'm reading my notes. You're like, is he sure? He has to read it off his notes. No. I've loved all these stories, but look, I I'm not going to assume that this book was created for my enjoyment and my education. Did you start? And maybe I might just I'll start yeah, with yeah. you. When you wanted to turn queer stories into a, a published book, did you have a sense of an audience or a readership? For me, the audience was the audience that I see in the room. I really didn't want it to be an educational tome. I'm mm. thrilled you like it. And yeah. I actually received an email just yesterday from a woman who lives in rural New South Wales and she walked into a bookshop and bought it. And she was like, I'm a straight person. I'm not part of the community. I just bought it for interest and I loved it and I learned so much and my mind's blown. So I am getting a newer straight audience, another email from a woman who came in Brisbane on a date night with her husband and she just was curious. So I think that it has given me a broader audience for the stories, but it was really important to me that we didn't change the content to suit that audience. Um, and, and, I, and there was a couple of instances where I really went into bat for, for elements of stories that were quite queer or disarming um, in there. Um, yeah, 
I think there's elements of some of them that can be confronting in some of the ways the writers talk about them, and I'm not going to speak to it um, to direct examples um, because those writers aren't here. Uh, yeah, I really went into bat for uh, for the stories to be as they were creatively. They've been expanded for length um, and for, for not feeling like they were written to be spoken, but that I didn't want us to start considering the straight audience. And I don't tell queer stories writers to consider a straight audience. Straight people come to queer stories sometimes and um, and it's a mixed space. But uh, for me, it's really important that these stories are by and for community because I think we do a lot of performing of ourselves for straight people, especially last year with the old plebiscite and all of that. And we're trying to be these... Um, perfect examples of ourselves and I want there to be space for our flaws and our conflict. There's stories in there that directly conflict with each other. Kelly Azizi's piece about being a shit queer and about um, race and our community directly contravenes other things that people say about race and our community. And I think that that's interesting. We can't be this one you know, cis straight white guys are allowed to disagree with each other and we're expected to have this, like, united front and we don't. We disagree with each yeah. other. So I wanted space for that in the book. Sorry, that was a bit all over the shop. So, listen, Tim, I'm just going to turn to both of you now. And did you have a sense of audience when you were creating your piece and then also translating it? Because I made mm. something you said there about translating it onto the page, mm. the mm. process of taking it from a live performed piece into a, a written piece. Um, well, the, the piece that I have included in the book, um, My Man and Me, um, has a bit of a history to it. Mm. Um, it was performed originally to a, a, a predominantly gay men's um, audience in, in about the 1990s. And I'd, uh, my partner died in 1995. And that actually started me off on a journey of writing songs and stories. You know, it started, it started off, you know, I basically just threw my grief into um, writing songs. So I was at home, you know, with the guitar, bashing away, bashing away. And then I, um, there was a thing called uh, Performance Positive, which was happening at the uh, Pride Centre. And I was invited to come along and um, sing a couple of songs. And I thought, oh, these songs really aren't going to make sense without sort of knowing, you know, what, you know, what, the, what the story is. So um, I wrote that story to to be told first of all to um, accompany, this, accompany the songs but now it's sort of you know it, it stands on its own um, Tim is sort of a unique case in that often people write specifically for Queer Stories events and we've been going back and forth about booking him and, and, and yeah, working, working together on what? another project he was working with me when I was doing the ABC magazine for Mardi Gras so there'd been this often I end up in quite a few months of communication with people before they make it to the stage and he sent me that piece and another one sort of for consideration and it was so good and so beautiful that instead of writing something new I was yeah. like I want that I want it for the book and I want you to perform it <laughs> and for me was, I wanted to do it yeah. because, because like, like what I was telling you too that it's the piece that sits it came first it sits mm. at the core it's sort of like it actually it's relieved me to be able to tell that story because I'm also not a person who you know who says exactly who I am but the story says who I am you, know, you, can, you, you can read into, and that's what I wanted to do I went to Queer Stories I was introducing myself to a new audience, mm -hmm. and I wanted, I wanted to tell them who I was and you know and what, what some of my experience had been. Mm. So then, if I ever get to do something else, it can be placed on top of that. Or, yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, so I've written a couple of pieces for Queer Stories now, and definitely the last thing that comes to mind is the comfort of people who don't share my identities. Like, that's kind of 
like it, that doesn't really come into it. Like it's about exploring things that I want to explore, and they can probably sit and listen and maybe get something out of it, maybe enjoy it. Like there's a few puns in there which everybody loves. <laughs> um, but there's this line in the, towards the end of my story, which is um, our paths paths are aligned here for just this one moment, sharing this page with no respect for the boundaries of time and distance and circumstance. And that kind of really I think sums it up for me in terms of like this story and the art of storytelling actually breaks down what identity can be, uh, our differences, and like everybody can listen to a story and everybody can engage with a story even if they don't understand the minutiae of my identity, my politics. Like we are storytellers by nature as people and that's a really beautiful way to share despite often very dramatic difference. Mm. And that was really present in like, if I tell a story that's true and that is significant to me and that has an emotional weight and does all these things, then that's what's going to matter. Like the the fact that we're different people and we come from different places is actually irrelevant. Mm. I say to writers when they're prepping, tell the story you don't always get to tell, but that you want to. Mm. So the one that you're not asked to tell or the one that or the one that you share at dinner parties with like-minded people, um, but that you don't always get, especially if they've got a public platform. What's your private stories for your community that you might be afraid to say in straight media or... Um, and, and then you podcast them. And then I podcast <laughs> them for everybody. And no, I mean, people know that's going to happen. And I've had some people do stories at the event and ask for them not to be on the podcast because they said this is really personal or funny, but I don't want it beyond the... 300 odd people who will be in the room and so there's been a few of those um, and I respect that too That's it for part one of our Great Conversations panel discussing queer stories, a new collection exploring lives well lived from some of Australia's finest LGBTQIA plus writers Today's panel featured Liz Duck Chong Tim Bishop and Maeve Marsden Queer Stories is out now through Hachette. If you want to find part two of uh, uh, the Great Conversation on Queer Stories, it will be up in a couple of days' time. Great Conversations is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at 2SER's Broadway Studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. If you're enjoying Great Conversations from Final Draft, please subscribe and give us a rating wherever you're listening to this podcast. Not only will you receive a new episode delivered straight to your phone every week, it also helps others discover great literature on the podcast. 2SER is a community radio station that is supporter-funded. If you like our podcasts and you want to be a part of our community, you can support us. Just go to 2SER.com forward slash support. To keep up with the latest books, writing and literary culture, follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. We are at Final Draft 2SER. I'm Andrew Popel and I'll be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft.